Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. I made it. And Larry Korea. What can man do against such reckless hate? Today's episode, Setting the Stage. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Writer Dojo. Glad to have you all with us today. Okay, several, several weeks ago, I did a very smart thing, Larry. And I thought, you know what? We have a lot of listeners of the Writer Dojo. And maybe they want to hear specific topics from us instead of us just, like, discussing for five minutes beforehand. Like, well, crap, what should we talk about today? Like, kind of like Pinky in the Brain, right? You, you unleashed the floodgates. I know, it was wonderful. And it was actually good because we were talking about how we like to interspace it. Like, we'll have some episodes a little more philosophical than some that are, like, kind of nuts and bolts and then some that are kind of business. And we needed to do some nuts and bolts ones. We did, and and... There, for this episode, there was one comment that, um, that we both really, really liked. And it was from Matthew Lucas. Um, basically, it comes down to setting the stage for new scenes within a novel. Yeah. It was like, how do you, how, how do you make it feel so you're not just like working off a checklist yeah. that this has to happen, but how do you bring in a new scene? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what I will say is... Um, whether it's a novel or a short story, this is important. And it's actually, it's interesting too, because if you think about it, we've talked about this on the show too, basically novels just a collection of scenes. It's mm-hmm. just a bunch of things in sequence that are occurring that, that are, they're chops. You know, there's like bits, bits, bits. Some scenes are long, some scenes are short, but overall, when you get done, your novel is basically a collection of Linked scenes. 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 scenes, depending on how long your scenes are. Yes. And, and so if you think about it, these are kind of like the fundamental blocks of your story construction. I mean, we talk about acts, we talk about like arcs and that kind of thing, but scenes are really kind of the bricks, mm-hmm. you know? And um, you got big ones and small ones. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and the length, I mean, straight up, like the length of those scenes, that's... That's something that I think about when, oh, yeah. I, when I'm writing. I usually don't think about it too much until I'm putting my chapters together. Yeah, and, and as we've discussed, Larry Larry leaves all chapters blank mm-hmm. because he reorders them at will at the, after the end. Yep, I, I never, ever number my chapters as I write. I finish the it manuscript. Crazy. I know, it's like, but it works for me. I finish the manuscript, and then I group them into chapters. Yeah. So I, I know, like for me... The length of a the length of a scene, it's all purpose driven. Yep. So, um, I'm considering things like pacing. I'm considering how long the scene I just wrote was. I'm considering the character's point of view, whether it's um, exposition laden uh, in terms of not straight up exposition, but but getting information out there. Right. Versus an action scene. Some versus... some scenes are more talky. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's a it's a talky scene. Sometimes it's a movement scene. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's an action scene, a romance scene. Uh, you know, whatever yeah, it yeah. may be. These are just the different building blocks. Now, on that, how to start them? How to set the scene? Oh man, there there here's one thing: is there's a million different ways to do it. We can go over a bunch. Yeah, yeah, sure. But don't do it the same way every time. No, no. Okay. In, in previous episodes, we, we've talked about 
especially upon edit or if you're like rereading the day before stuff that you wrote and you start looking for um, Brennan, our, our buddy Brennan's going to laugh at this, the, the, the sea of eyes. Yeah, yeah. He he made he was on meds and he made a joke about Steve talking about a sea of eyes and thinking it in the horror context rather than like editing words. <laughs> um, the letter I. Yeah, we were, we were talking about I think it was at Liberty Con. Or something. With you, it could go either way. Yeah, we we thought it was hilarious. Um, but anyway, so we were um, when you the same much the same way in which you're you're looking at things like if you're starting every paragraph with I did this or. John did this. Um, I, I look at scenes in very much the same way. Okay. How am I starting this scene? Right. Are they, you know, um, uh, in, in one of my really, really, really early drafts of, um, of residue back in ye olden days. Um, I think I had three chapters in a row where Jack was waking up from, from going unconscious. So I had, I had two problems. Each of the scenes was ending with him going unconscious. And then the next scene was beginning with him waking up from being unconscious. Yeah. That's, right? That's going to feel really... Feels super repetitive. Yeah, super repetitive and kind of forced. It'll feel mm-hmm. forced to the reader. Yep. Um, there, there's so many different ways to come into a scene. Mm-hmm. And you could it could be... One of the things we talked about in the show before is in media res. Yeah. So you start when the action is already occurring, but you don't want to do that all the time either. And there's the old in uh, in late out early. Yeah. That's beginning and ending a scene. A lot of people tend to start the scene too soon. Yeah. Like like, I mean, you don't necessarily. I mean, sometimes if you're setting the stage, like say let's say it's a western. Okay. And there'll be the long shot of the Western where the guy's on horseback. Yeah. Thinking about, you know, life and he's, he, and he's riding, riding into town and you see the town from, and you see the tumbleweeds. From weeds. three different angles, you see him riding into town, all dramatic with- and it plays music. music, yep. And you see the townsfolk looking at him and he's mm-hmm. looking at the townsfolk and then looking, you're looking at the horse yeah. and you're looking at the cactus. Okay. That's, that's in early. Yeah. All right. So that's coming into the scene early. And you can do that, especially- and screenwriting, they talk about the establishing shot, and that'll actually That's be a thing in a screenplay, is, yeah. right? So, like, let's say that the in a screenplay, like if there's scenes going to be at the hospital, they'll do this little flash where it's an outside Here's shot the of the hospital, hospital, and then it, and then it hits, and inside. then then they're in a yeah. room, right? Yeah. But you know, it's in the hospital because they had that two second establishing mm-hmm. shot. Writing is similar, only we can't just do a picture like Western no. Town, yeah, <laughs> you know, and yeah. then go into the action. Um, so you're, you got to decide how much do you want to set? Now, this is one of those you vary. There's not really a right answer because there'll be times where I'm telling the story. I will do the long establishing intro to the scene because I want, like, let's say I'm moving into a new location and I want to give some, some feel, some vibe. I'm actually, we talked about the show before too. I'm not that descriptive. I'm actually a relatively undescriptive author. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Um, it's funny because people... I have people, been described as terse. People think I'm descriptive, but I'm really not. If you actually look at the word count of describing stuff, I'm actually on the low end. But I'm pretty good at evoking a mood in in a limited number of words, which will then fill in the blank for the reader. Well, and I, and I think that that, for me, right there, Larry, that's the idea of mood. Yeah. Right? 
Um, I, I write, I write a lot of spookiness and it's really hard to get the feeling of spookiness across without setting the stage. Yeah. You know, whether we're talking and, you know, you start talking about, um, you know, the varying senses that we have, you mm-hmm. know, talking about, because I, I think what happens to a lot of people is they only talk about what the characters see. Yeah. There was a blue house on the street that was black. And, you know, it, it just goes through that stuff. He saw a tumbleweed bounce by. Yeah. He saw a dog mm-hmm. look at him, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and with horror, um, and, and, and I, and I, I feel like, I feel like especially in horror, we see this. Uh, well, actually in, in romance as well. Um, the, the word choice that you use, well, we talked about this with Casey. Evocative um, word choices. You know, the evocative yeah. word choices. Word, word choices where the words themselves, saying them or hearing them, evokes an emotion. Synonyms or weapons. Yeah. You know, like like the, you know, slough. The word slough. I mentioned in, in, in that episode, the word slough. When you start using that word about, you know, skin sloughing off the bone and, um, you know, the, the sound that it makes as it plops onto the ground and the smell of it and all that kind of stuff. When, when you start writing with that sort of evocative word choice, you're not saying anything different really than, you know, whatever, but the words themselves work for you. They have a flavor. I was writing a scene today uh, for Graveyard of Demons and Jagdish was very angry. But And so you said Jagdish was very angry. I did. But the thing is, there's a lot of different types of synonyms for anger, okay? Um, there's, you know, rage, fury, right? And, and the thing is, he's kind of like going through this checklist of emotions because he's really, really pissed off, right? So what I'm going through, though, I'm trying to evoke a specific emotion. And I will, I in this case, he's goes to cold calculating vengeance is what he's rooting for. And, but just like the different types of word choice there, when you're setting a scene, think about your descriptors and the mood you're trying to evoke and evoke that early in the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That will go a long way and also save you a lot of word count of having to describe. And there's not really a right way or a wrong way to do this because some authors are extremely descriptive. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, And And they're good at it. A lot of people love that. I mean, I am not one of those guys where there's the fantasy novel where they'll talk about what everybody's eating for a page and what all the women's dresses look like for a page. Now, if it's a barbecue scene, I will talk for a page. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, that's an area... That'd be like me writing about guns, Right, no, yeah, exactly. Same thing. The audience is going to be like, yeah, this guy knows his stuff. But but for me... Show off. Yeah, if, if if I'm going to get into that, then the character has to care. Right. About that. That's what he said too, is like not every character cares about architecture, right. yet yet in books, the, the author will have like the character always describe the architecture. Only describe the architecture if the character would give a crap about the architecture. Because most people set the scene, like, it was a big white castle. Yeah. <laughs> Other people be like, well, they had Doric columns, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think that this is, the reason we see the, and we bring up these sorts of um, examples so often is because we have seen so many authors over the past, um, both good and bad authors, who that's how they set the scene every time. 
They talk yeah. about the, the building that the character is in and the architecture and the light that's coming in and the, and it's the same. And you could be every time paragraphs in before anything happens. Mm-hmm. You know, and that works for some people. Like once again, this is one of those, I, I never want to say there's rules, you know what I'm saying? Cause someone's going to, someone's going to violate it. Well, I mean, and, and look, you know, Chris Rocchio or, or Dan Simmons or these guys, they can, they can come in and they can describe, you know, the evocative nature of some freaking spaceship or castle for, for three paragraphs you know, or 10 paragraphs. And you and I will go, this was dope. That's a good point is go with your strengths too. Like me, I'm not a descriptor kind of guy. I'm not a prose guy. No. I, I am very utilitarian in my prose, uh, workman like. I, I want to get to the horrifying nature of something as quick as I can. I want to get to the meaty bits yeah. and the, and the emotional tension and the conversations and the action and the humor. Yeah. For, for me. And, and again, I, I think that a lot, guys, I think a lot of this comes down to like what you just said, Larry, it comes down to what are your strengths? What are your styles? And, and more importantly, what are you trying to accomplish? Well, cause here's the thing. So if, if you are Dan Simmons or Chris Rocchio, you can actually take the time to really go into that um, and make it awesome because yeah. they have that gift. Yeah. I mean, those, those guys, I, I remember seeing, who was it? I think it was Cordova. I think it was Jason Cordova. He said something to the effect, cause he was reading the, the, the latest Chris. Book. Oh, the latest sun eater. Yeah. And, and he's like, he said something like I have given up trying to ever be as good as this guy or yeah. whatever it was. And my response to it was, oh, dude, I gave up on that a long time ago. Yeah. Like, there, there are people who are just awesome at this, at that sort of thing. Yeah. And the thing, there's different skill sets. It's all tools in the toolbox, yeah. right? I've got a lot of things that I'm really good at. They're tools that I'm really good at. But there's other things that I recognize that as a tool that not necessarily is for me. Whereas there's other authors who are really, really good at that. So that's one reason I always say beware of the people who are like, there's only one way to do it. No, no, there's clearly not. There's clearly a million ways to do what we do because what we do is artistic. You know, it's not scientific. Yeah. Um, and so if you are really good at setting that evocative, really cool description of the forest, then by all means, talk about those trees, dude. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I will always I will always say this. And th- this is this is my personal philosophy. If that's the stage you're setting... I want to know why, why, why is that the stage that you're setting? Yeah. Um, I've, I've critiqued a lot of first chapters in my life. A lot. Why does this matter? Yep. I've critiqued a metric butt ton of short stories. Um, and especially with short stories and especially with first chapters, um, you very, very early, I'm asking myself, what is the goal? So, okay, let's, let's take Servants of War, for example, okay? Um, Alarian's first chapter, which is chapter one of the book. Mm-hmm. The goal of that chapter is, it, it's to manipulate you. Oh, gosh, yeah, 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 totally. It's to make you think that the story is going to be one thing, but really, really fast, we're like, nope, and we yanked the rug out from under you. Oh, you thought you had a happy life, farm boy. It's like, no, 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 you do not. Farm boy's life sucks. Nope, it's going to get In worse. In fact, he's not going to be on the farm anymore. And not only that, you know, I mean, it's it's like HK, like like 
you know, the world's like, you suck and I hate you. Right? Very, very much. Um, you actually, we, you know, we're almost at the break. When we come back, there's certain chapters from Servants of War I want to talk about. Okay, we yeah. open them in different ways. Yeah, yeah. We vary how we diff- we open the different ones, different okay. scenes. So, so we're going to take a quick break. Um, we're going to rehydrate, um, pet, pet my puppies who you might, you might've heard barking or growling in the background. Yeah. We apologize for any technical barking difficulties. They, my, my, my dogs who are all like, all of like 10 pounds each are so fierce. His uh, dogs would get eaten where I live in like 15 minutes. Yeah. They, you know, like, they get carried off by eagles. Yeah. Or a coyote. So, um, but that's okay. They're adorable. Chomp breezer. Yeah. We'll be right back. September 1940, the Battle of Britain is at its height. Every day, RAF and Allied fighters rise to meet the swarms of German planes seeking to bomb Britain into submission. In the Mediterranean, the Royal Navy, badly overstretched by the loss of the French Navy, struggles against the powerful Italian Navy to keep that vital waterway open while supporting the besieged island fortress of Malta. To aid their ally, the Republic of Texas is sending Vice Admiral Carl von Stahlberg in the Texas Naval Expeditionary Force. Can his small force of cruisers, destroyers, and two aircraft carriers stem the rising tide of Europe's dictators as the tyrant Catan works to break up the Allies? Texas in the Med, Book 3 of the Republic of Texas Navy series, now available in ebook on Amazon and Kindle Unlimited. Pick up your copy today. All right, welcome back. Um, over the break, we 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 were gonna discuss what we were gonna talk about, but then my dogs started attacking each other, and they're running around my office right now. I would tell them to stop. You can just hear them, but um, they're too cute. They're too cute. Jack's gonna kill us. That's All right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Jack. We'll stick the dog in a box. Yeah. No. Um. Shh. All right, everybody, welcome back. Okay. As we were leaving the top half of the episode, we we started talking about different chapter openings and stuff. And I, you know, we, we kind of figured that actually talking about the very varying way in which we opened up scenes within Servants of War is actually a great example of this because we hit openings and setting the stages in so many different ways in that book. Many different ways. And we're going to go through some of them that you guys hopefully can learn from. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in fact, I, here, here's what I would do. If you already have the book, you know, we'll talk about some of these chapters. Go pull your, go pull, pull that book off the shelf and actually flip to those chapters, to those sections and see what we're talking about. Obviously yeah. not if you're driving. Yeah. Summer, summer scenes, summer chapters. Um, like, we have one where we open the scene and it's a battle scene. So we're trying to, and it's one of the early battle scenes. So we're trying to set the tone of it. So right at the very beginning, we open with a dude screaming and then getting put out of his misery so by, the, yeah. by his commanding officer. So this is the opening of act two. Okay. The very opening. Yep. And it, there, there's two components to this. One well, there's several components to this, but one of the primary ones, like you just said, Larry, it was, this is the first real, like, war battle 
scene of the book. Yeah, because there's been scenes of conflict before this and violence. Yeah. But this is the first battle sequence. And I remember when I was writing this, um, when, when I was writing the draft for this part of it, I desperately wanted people to understand how mud and blood this this war really was how violent it was yeah it, look it's 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 fantasy world war one so when we talk about the in early or out early this was in late like clearly really late stuff has been going down yeah then we had the ultra moment of ultra violence then we back up a step and say and then we describe mm-hmm. the setting yep and the trenches and the and the and the nomads land and the bullets flying hitting the magic shields and yeah. um so on and so forth. Now, part of what th- this is a scene that is obviously this is a third of the way through the book. This scene, in my opinion, part of the reason why the scene has such impact was how it was set up by the ending of the prior scene. The prior yeah. scene ends with a test that Alarian has, which when you're reading it, this is one of the scenes that, that, that our buddy Blaine Pardo absolutely loved. Oh, pet the kitten? Pet the kitten. Yeah. I, I'm, that's one of the, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of Dude, the pet the kitten scene. One it's of the such best. a, it's such a great scene. Yeah. Um, one of the best scenes ever. I love that. And scene. it's, it's almost whimsical. You know, it, it ends with Alarian almost feeling like I'm good. I've done it. I'm yeah. in a good spot. I have I have had success in a test. He passed training. He passed his training. All is right in the world. Yep. Turn the page. War. Awfulness. Yeah. You know, I believe the I, I think the the line is something like, um, Alarian uh, had never heard a man truly scream like this, or something it's something to that effect. Um and it has the the juxtaposition, you know, the contrast of those two emotions yep. makes them both stronger. One of the tricks that I like to use is I will take the ending line of a scene, like, or, or so I'll have a scene and then the scene will wrap up and there'll be like the final uh, line of that mm-hmm. scene. I will open the next scene with something that's similar but different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a fun little trick. Super fun. So I'm working on Graveyard of Demons, and I had a uh, thing where it's where it's Jagdish uh, flirting with the woman he's about to marry. You know, Lady Shakti, who I introduced, and she's great. And and there's just some little thing about like she, she says some of the fact that, like how you know all women desire some adventure in their life, right? On the next scene opens with Rada, who's been through so freaking much at this point, hounded to the end of the earth, and how. And she's like, she goes just sick to death of adventure. Yeah. You know, that's the next scene and, and how it opened. Mm-hmm. And the, the two have nothing to do with each other except just that little swap. And then I back up and I explain. Yeah. There, there, there's that, there's the kind of that flow or to, or to use a, a Craig Nibo term there, there's almost a melody to that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Actually that is, I, that is a good point. Yeah. You know? That Nibo episode is so good. Oh, I freaking love Craig. Um, so that that's one way. Where's another right? trick we did in Servants that I was really proud of, where we would have scenes where the scene would open, where like like in the training scenes we'd have Spartak lecturing them, right? So we would go right in with this cool dude. You know, we, like I said, he was 
Russian Bruce Willis yeah. <laughs> in our heads yeah. as we wrote Spartak. He's definitely Russian Bruce Willis. He's Russian Bruce Willis. And Spartak is like lecturing him. You will do this. You will do this. You will do this. You will do this. And then we've established just off his words that this is a training scene. This is a exposition scene. This is a learning scene. The world building scene. Back up. This is what it looks like. Yep. You know? Yep. Um, you, you, I, I'm pretty proud of... Of Servants of War, obviously. That's a really good book. And and one of the reasons I'm so proud of it is that I, I think that you and I did... A, I, I'm not generally a guy to pat myself on the back. I, I'm, I'm just not that guy. Um, but I think we did a really, really good job of using scene openings to establish the flavor of what that scene was going to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, like, like when I write short stories, well, and, and I've said this before on the show, the thing that, the things that I try to do is how quick can I make you care about my characters? How quick? Yeah. Can I do it in a paragraph? Can I do it in a sentence? Can I do it in a word? Um, you know, and like, like the, like my, my opening for, um, for my, uh, my werewolf cop short story that's in down these mean streets the opening line is i need your help um and and then the 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 character's immediate immediate next line is um those four words have caused more grief in 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 the world than anything else and and so it sets a flavor right now in servants of war we do that really really freaking well i mean you know you you have any christoph scene it starts with it's it's very intellectual, the yeah. way they start, and 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 commenting on the dishonesty of humanity. Honestly, and most of the Kristoff scenes start in a way that I would describe as observational. Yes, in that they almost always start where he is observing something. Well, yeah, I mean, Kristoff's opening scene in Servants of War is him commenting on the weather and the season, spring yeah. and Kolokovia. Yeah. Time of rebirth. Which is one of the things I said, never, never open with the weather. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do. But you do. No, we do. We open with it. But then the very next line is a lie. And all of a sudden the reader goes, oh, oh okay. This is different. And, and almost every scene with Kristoff has that element to it because that is how he sees the world. Right. You know, Natalia sees the world through the scope of a rifle. Alarian sees the world through blurry eyes <laughs> in the very beginning through very, very blurry eyes, which is not unsymbolic of the fact that the dude just really has no concept of how the world really works. Yeah. You know, yeah, we, it's we, almost like we plan that we get a little allegorical at times, you know, and then, and then snuck it in there. And then Amos looks at, at things from a, from a heaven's point of view, almost. Yeah. He's, you know? he's got the, he has tend to be a little more philosophical openings. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one, one, one trick is raise a question in the reader's mind. Have some, open the scene with something happening where the reader is immediately curious. So like I said, like, so you talk about like establishing how much they care about the character. If you want to establish where they care about the situation, have something be happening where they're curious what it is and how it got there. Or, or, uh, or, or likewise fearful. Of what, yeah. like... Why are they afraid Why of are they... So, you know, again, so the opening of Act 2 is this dude just is screaming because he's holding his own 
severed arm and then he gets his head pulverized. And it's like, oh, oh okay. What the crap is going on? We have the scene where Amos uh, just has a ghost barge in and start tearing stuff up. Mm-hmm. And so people are like, wait, what? Where's the, there's a, there's an angry poltergeist, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, ripping and, and, stuff up. Why? Yeah. And, and so a lot of times it's, you know, it's crazy thing and then explain it after the fact. Or there's a lot of scenes that, cause you don't want to always do that. You know, that, that's very much the Steven Erickson thing. It's throw you in the middle of the ocean and then explain it later. Yeah. Um, and that's fine sometimes. And we do that. Yeah. But I don't like doing that all the time. If you, well, it's like Steven Erickson does that constantly. All the time. Under the, like Mala's on Book of the Fall and everybody's just confused as you read it. Mm-hmm. But he's a really good writer, so you stick with it. But a lot of people don't. So, I mean, I guess there's not really a right answer on this. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those, and we, and we, we, wow, we've said that a lot this episode, because it's one of those artistic flavor things that there's a million ways you can do it and make it work. Well, I mean, okay. So, so servants again, right? Yeah. You know, at the very beginning of the episode, we were talking about the Western, right? The establishing shot of them, you know. Trudging the, the across dude, the desert. Trudging across the desert into the old West Town. We straight up did that. You know, we, we basically do that in, when they're trekking through hell. Yeah. So act three, when they're, when they're. Waltzing through hell, marching through hell, we we do we we do that full on Western establishing shot. Yeah, and it's like this endless wasteland of suck and misery. And and that's because that's intentional, right? That that's because we want the readers to understand. Like, oh goodness. Plus, we went from mud and misery to like dry and misery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all, like they went from mud to sand. Different flavors of misery, and then blood snow. So oh, yeah, blood snow was awesome. You know. When when you look at the flow of 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 servants of war, whenever it's a different character, they establish the scene in a different way. Yeah, and and I think that's important. Yeah, because that's just one more way for you to help the reader see the flavor of your character. There's um, there's so many tricks, guys. Honestly, I would say read your favorite books and see how they, like, like, like the style that you want to write in and read and see how they establish. I mean, there's so many tricks and I try to vary it up. There's a scene in Monster Hunter where they're in training where, where the scene opens with Owen complaining about how hard it is to chop a human head off. Yeah. You know? And then immediately the reader's like, whoa, wait, wait, hey, yeah. wait what? Yeah. That's, yeah. That's the training scene with him and Holly and the. Yeah. And, the and they're like staking and chopping. Yeah. And, uh. It's a and great it's like, scene. Yeah. And it's like, but it's out of nowhere. It's like, so it just opens with, it's so hard. See, I was a noob and I still got, there's a lot of this stuff, guys, is instinct. Um, write the scene and be like, does this hook me? Yeah. Do I care? Is it cool? Is it cool? Is it fun? Uh, is it like like making me want to go? Oh wow! I want to keep going on this scene. Yeah, because I because we talk about the opening of books and the opening of the book is like super important. That initial hook, because you got to hook them at the beginning to get them to keep going, but you keep rehooking them with, with when you open up new scenes. Yeah, and 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 I think that those transitional pieces are really important from chapter to chapter. Um, which again, which I know is is one of the other reasons why you don't you don't number your chapters. 
so that you can reorganize them. And then, and then I know you rework the transition from chapter I to will. chapter. I will. I will rework transitions. Yeah. I will, I will be like, I haven't hooked them for a while. I need a new hook here. Mm-hmm. And so I will rewrite the beginning of a scene to be more hooky. There'll be times where I will write the scene originally and I will come in fairly early and describe it and so on and so forth. But then I'll look at it when I'm editing and be like, hmm. No, I can come in later here and have a deeper hook. I, I can, I got a couple paragraphs explaining what's going on or as they traveled to the village or whatever, I can chop those, start them in the village with the interesting thing happening and then back up to say that they traveled to this other village. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? And so that's something that I'll, a lot of times doing editing just to, to reset the hook. Yeah. I mean, within every scene, there are small micro scenes, right? And don't be afraid to play with the order of those, right? I mean, well, okay. Um, Monster Hunter Alpha, the opening with Heather, with her, with the cupcake. Oh, uh, with uh, Lucinda. Oh, sorry. Lucinda. Yeah, Lucinda's birthday party. Yeah. And so so talk about that really quick. Okay, so this was a scene that I originally wrote, and uh, uh, Jim Minns actually edited this. And uh, so I wrote the scene where Lucinda is mostly kind of a, a dialogue and exposition scene where Lucinda is uh, plotting. And she's plotting her evil witch plot working with a werewolf, right? And at the end of the scene, I reveal it's her birthday, and because they're, they're murdering a town, she just gets a cupcake from a vending machine sticks a single candle in it and sings herself happy birthday, mm-hmm. right? Just because she's a weird chick, right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but Jim said, hey, what if you took the cupcake and the birthday song and you moved it to the beginning of the scene and then you backed up as to why is this girl, this weird, crazy, witchy, <laughs> goth chick doing this mm-hmm. by herself. And so I did. And I moved the cupcake to the beginning and opened with this birthday song. And then all of a sudden it was like, people read that. It went from being an unnecessary exposition scene to a hook. Because people were like, whoa, wait, what? Why is, we're in the middle of this were- undead werewolf massacre. Well, and it, and it does, it accomplishes a couple of things. One, it, like you said, it, it sets up that hook a lot earlier. Um, cause the cognitive dissonance of it, but also it actually ups the emotional stakes. It makes her a little sad, a little sad, even but though she's an up... evil psycho necromancer. Yeah. It makes her a little sad. It does. And it also makes the violence in the scene worse. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah it does. I mean, I, I talk about there, there's, there's a scene in residue like this where, you know, it's this fun levity scene where, where Alex comes back and is talking with Jack. She's brought him his homework and, you know, from, from college. And, uh, and, and he's like, why is all my work already done in my own handwriting? And Alex is like, yeah, don't worry about that. Plausible deniability. (laughs) You know, it's this fun banter back and forth in the middle of a book where things have been garbage for this kid. And then, uh, He's like, oh, why are you here? And she says, oh, um, you know, I, uh, there, there's been a murder scene. I could really use your help looking it over. And he goes, oh, okay, well, where is it at? And when she reads him the address, he knows the house and it's his friend. And so you feel, as a reader, that scene is one thing. And then the rug is pulled out from under you. And you're like, oh, crap. So the reader feels worse the the sucker punch hits harder because of the way you structure the scene. Yep. You know, absolutely. That scene would have been 
frankly, that scene would have been boring if I'd have led with her coming in saying, oh, hey, uh, I'm here because we have a murder scene to go to and uh, it's at this house, but here's your homework. Yeah. Like it doesn't make any sense that way. So it's, again, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of this scene? Yeah, because if you were running just a police procedural, then you could have like, here's the report, here's the location. I know that location, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then the next scene would open with the interview or Mm -hmm. the open with the inspecting the crime scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, like pushing under the crime scene tape or something, you know? But for this, this scene, that scene and, and the scene that it goes into is horror. And so it's like, okay, I need to set the reader up for what this is. They need to understand the stakes now. Yeah. Here it is. And I punch him in the face. Yeah, you really will. I don't know. I think, I think, I think that covers basically there's no right answer and there's a million ways to do it. And there's a million wrong ways to do it too. And you just got to make sure it works. I, I'll, it comes down to experimentation. Yeah. Right. And don't be afraid to edit it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it either works or it doesn't work. And when you have all the blocks lined up in the wall and something looks uneven, you can fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so don't be afraid to go back and reset that hook. Change it up a little bit. Be like, I got too many scenes in a row where they ride into the new location and I describe it. Yep. Mix it up. So we, we haven't done this for a while, but so here's, here's your assignment. Okay. Find a book, whatever book you love. I know you have it on your shelf or it's it's on your Kindle or whatever. Pull it open. And just go to the start of all the different chapters. Don't don't you don't have to read the whole book. Read the first couple paragraphs. Just, just of read each the chapter. first couple couple paragraphs of each chapter. Or if you're paging through and you see like a little artistic line break thing, read the first the first couple paragraphs of that new that new established scene. That's a really good idea. Because what you're going to see um, you're going to see a couple things. One, you, you'll go, oh, that's interesting. You'll see how varied it is from scene to scene to scene. And you'll see the techniques that they're using. And since you're thinking about this, ask yourself, why do I like how this scene starts? What emotion is the scene giving me? Do I know the goal of this scene within the first couple paragraphs? And start thinking about that. And then think about how you can apply that to your work in progress. I, I I think this will really help you quite a bit. Yeah, it's a good idea. All right. That's all the time we have for you today. Um, thank you, Matthew, for your for your comment on that that thread of awesomeness. Um, hopefully, you, you know that they answered some of your your questions. Um, and to everyone else out there, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. This is the Writer Dojo. We'll uh, we'll see you in the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song is Word Mercenaries by Craig Nivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo by leaving a five-star rating and review and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Dad, the cute little fluffers.